the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to Wine Women Radio, where we discuss what we're drinking and what's happening in the wine industry. Pour yourself a glass and enjoy the show. It's the Wine Women Radio Hour, folks. I'm Marsha Maycumber. I'm here today with Misty Rodebush Kane. Hello, Misty. Hi, Hi, everyone. Patty Newman is here. Hi. And we've got our guest here, Melissa Smith, is with us. Melissa, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. So Melissa's second show with us, we're kind of combining things because, you know, it's just easier to consolidate. Um, I forgot to say before, and I want to make sure I don't miss out on on this time, we are enjoying this um, beautiful private tasting room here at the panel wine lounge in sonoma uh for folks who don't know they're at 535 west napa street in sonoma they're now on their new winter hours winter hours are wednesday through friday two to nine o'clock so they're starting an hour earlier um now that they're into the winter months saturday noon to nine uh sunday through tuesday are by appointment only essentially um they have not only this beautiful private tasting room here the loft in the back Um, but the wine lounge up in the front has all different kinds of seating areas um, with big deep cushions and um, all different types of stuff that you can use Uh, they have a patio out front with a little um, fire pit a mini fire pit um, that can be used in the evenings uh, which is really popular right now since it's Indian summer you can find them at panelwines.com and uh, consider joining their club they have an international wine club in which all the wines for each month are selected blind by a series of uh, expert tasters um, who are all sommeliers or wine shop owners or you know whatever expert area that they have here uh, in wine tasting, um, you'd have to go to the wine, si- the website to see uh, who were the experts in the panel. That's where the name comes from. I just saw a member coming in today, and she was <laughs> quite happy picking up her um, her, two her club selection. Yeah, she had two club selections. Yeah, what's really cool for if you're looking for a club to join is that it's you know it's not just one winery with you know half a dozen wines or something. You're getting completely different stuff all the time. So a very cool thing. Uh, you can reach them by phone at 707-938-7152. So that's um, a great way to sample what they've got, stop in their wine shop, kick kick back on their patio on an Indian summer evening to enjoy a glass. They also have game nights here um, with a lot of different board games and card games that they play, which is really altogether kind of cool. So, Is it be members sure. only or can anyone come in? Anybody, it's open to the public. It's fantastic place. Isn't it a great place? Yeah. Yeah. So it is open to anyone. So um, it's it's open to the public. What street are we on? We are on West Napa Street. They're at 535 West Napa Street. Open to the public. The Panel Wine Lounge. So a few things in wine news. Uh, I wanted to make sure people knew since we are wine women, the Wine Women Conference is November 5th. Uh, open to the public as well. You don't have to be in the wine industry, but the conference is focusing in on career skills, communication skills, understanding different communication styles, having courageous conversations, leadership presence. Um, All these details can be found on the homepage winewomen.net. 
and um, on our be, social media. That's right. Which Patty does because Patty is a social media expert. Well, I can't and do that, but I just know should like wine women. There you on go. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you. That's because that's one area that Patty focuses in on among many, but that's what we're focusing in on right now. Um, in the news, um, some interesting things in the wine industry news right now. Biggest thing that I saw most recently that's really going to affect the wine industry was the Supreme Court declined to hear Domino's Pizza's uh, appeal for a lawsuit against them. And you go, what does that have to do with wine? Well, this all started off with um, a number of wineries being sued in upstate New York for not having their websites be ADA compliant, um, American Disabilities Act compliant. Now, the ADA was passed in 1990. At that time, it was considered primarily focused upon physical premises, you know, having ramps instead of steps, um, having um, braille signs on physical premises so that um, people with uh, visual impairment and visual challenges would know where they were going. Um, websites is kind of a new area for compliance, um, which is why Domino's was kind of contesting um, the lawsuit that was brought against them. It's not that they did not want to make their website accessible. It was that the U.S. government has never declared what is, what are the exact things that you have to do for a website to make it conform and be compliant to the ADA. So um, this is this is brand new, and there's a great deal of speculation that not just the wine industry, but anybody who has a business and has a website is going to have to make it ADA compliant. Have you been hearing about this, Misty? I know all too much about this. Oh, dear. So, yes, I do know quite a lot about this. Um, if you're listening right now and you're like, what is this? W or Google um, w, um, the WCAG 2.0. And okay. you will find a lot of information on yeah. it. There are different standards and specifications that many coders and web designers use. Mm -hmm. um, most of them, hopefully, are at the level A and double A, which is a um, specific type of accessibility that they're building the infrastructure from the website to accommodate. So there you it's go. exciting and um a lot of work, but it's definitely um, worth it because right. we want those with um, the handicaps and disabilities and those people that need um, some of those accessibility features if your website isn't fine-tuned to accommodate right. those and they can't navigate it. So That's right. So uh, to take some of the jargon out of it, um, for people who are visually impaired, it might have something to do with the colors that are used, the the point size on the fonts, the navigation. Yeah, and um, a good test is just take your, your mouse and right click on it and you can ask it to read aloud. And it yes. will read your site aloud. Right, and, and there are gonna be a lot of things probably that it can't read aloud because they haven't been coded to it because there wasn't a requirement for it. Um, so that's gonna be an interesting um, upgrade we're all going to be making to website as a web designer I'm already looking at quite a bit of this for my clients and going yeah we got to make this a lot easier for people so but that's are... also not the only thing to do because there's a lot of things from light sensitivity oh, yes. to contrasting colors mm -hmm. um, it's a very detailed look at your website so right. I highly recommend engaging a professional or using one of the tools out there there you go 
right also in the news and we're getting into um pardon my swallow there we're focusing this edition of wine women radio on wine and food pairing so i'm noshing a little bit on some of the food here so a little bit more in the news boldly going where no palate has gone before a star trek wine tasting so if you're a trekker um you probably have already heard this but if you're not a trekker um you may vaguely be aware that um Jean-Luc Picard, one of the main characters of the entire franchise system, uh, retired to his vineyard at the end of Star Trek Nemesis, I think. Something like that. Now, Chateau Picard actually exists in France. Um, (laughs) But, um, so in any event, two wines have been released. One from the um, French winery Chateau Picard, and another is a Sonoma Valley Zinfandel. 2017, produced under the United Federation Special Reserve label. Um, they've been rev- they they've they're getting some initial reviews and they're considered pretty nice actually. Um, there's some cute little things here. It says in the release information, the back label gives a brief history of the founding of the United Federation of Planets, claiming that this wine has been quote blended by our intergalactic sommelier and designed to fit the palates of multiple planets, uh, end quote. Um, so that's a description for the 87% Zinfandel that has um, blending with Petit Syrah and uh, a little bit of Syrah as well. Um, so uh, kind of interesting. The 2016 Bordeaux from Chateau Picard, um, the label, the front label, also known as the back label if you know that you know they mean different things to different people um is claiming it's the 2386 vintage (laughs) um (laughs) we shall see and all that so um uh, so far so good if you're interested um these are not inexpensive wines i think they run uh 50 to 60 dollars uh and if you're a trekker you probably just have to get in there and try them out and the last thing i wanted to mention as fun news Uh, was I saw an article about three inventions that changed wine but weren't actually wine. And this was, again, in uh, Menager's uh, Fine Wine uh, International Business uh, publication. The three inventions came from Alois Senenfelder, Clarence Saunders, and Malcolm McLean. Anybody heard of them? No. I'm getting kind of a no from everybody. I'm getting a lot of head shakes here. So um, one is a German, the other two are American. They were born in, respectively, 1771, 1881, and 1913. So the first one, 1796, Alois um, who was an actor and playwright, actually was the inventor of the lithographic printing press. The lithographic printing press made it possible to finally start printing things a lot less expensively than they ever had been before. He, of course, was using it to print programs for his plays. But this also made it possible, finally, to print labels for wine bottles, which had never occurred before. They hadn't done any of that. Um, So this brought down the cost of identification of what was actually in a bottle. Um... So a big savings there. 
Um, and it brought U.S. prices eventually down to... I'm trying to say, suddenly the look of the product and its packaging brought the cost down and the self-service version of it brought it down to 99 cents or 99 pence. <laughs> so this made wine more accessible to the layperson. All right, so the printing press, the lithographic printing press. Number two, Clarence Saunders. He helped boost the use of Seinenfelder's invention when, in 1916, he opened a shop at 79 Jefferson Avenue in Memphis, Tennessee, that he called, if this sounds familiar to anyone, the Piggly Wiggly. And some of you may be going, Melissa, you're going, that's a grocery store. The Piggly Way is a grocery store. Yeah. So... Piggly Wiggly, before Piggly Wiggly came along, there were no self-service supermarkets in the world. There were no supermarkets in the world. And it completely revolutionized shopping because it allowed customers to finally go up and down aisles, which didn't exist before, and pick the items that they wanted rather than a clerk going back and retrieving items for people. So this meant now that there could be 600 items on various shelves. People could be filling up their baskets and their carts and go to checkout. So this was also a big shift making wine for the masses possible. The third invention changing wine, according to Menengers, was in 1956, Malcolm McLean took out a patent for, ready? This is a really sexy item in wine, the shipping container. Okay. Once the shipping container became invented, it brought down the cost of shipping by 90%. That means getting wines from France and Portugal and Spain and Italy and Greece and all of those areas could get to our shores vastly cheaper than ever before. Conversely, that means all of our stuff can go to Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Asia, all those parts a lot cheaper than before. So I thought that was an interesting list of inventions, not in the wine world, but have changed how the wine business works all together. Yeah, without a doubt. Kind of a, kind of a cool thing. So uh, we're here with Melissa Smith, um, sommelier to the Silicon Valley stars. Uh, if you want to know a lot more about um, where that background all comes from, you got to listen to the prior show that we just did with Melissa because uh, she's got some great stories about how she conducted some events for some of the stars of Silicon Valley who were trying to learn a little bit more about wine as they went along and um, how she helped them out with that. But more recently, um, besides that, she's also the first person to be certified by the California State Bar Association for her seminar on the valuation of wine collections, something that is essential if you have a really, or at least you think you have a really valuable collection of wine, right? Have you run into people who think they have a really valuable collection and in point of fact, no? Yes, sadly. One of the most recent ones I did, we ended up having to toss about half of their collection because it was primarily daily drinkers and they had about 3,000 bottles. Oh, man. Wow. So, well, there are numerous factors we've been talking about uh, in the prayer show, obviously. Um, Great wines, wines of great value come from wineries and cellars um, where there's a a well-known history of having really great wine, but then there's also, how's that wine been stored? Um, We've all had experiences where wines have been past their ageability 
That affects them. Uh, they weren't stored uh, properly with uh, good temperature control or no temperature control at all. So that kind of cancels them out, doesn't it? Yeah. And provenance. Talk a little bit about provenance. Um, how does that affect the value of wine? Uh, somebody thinks they have a great Chateau uh, Mouton <laughs> Rothschild. You said you've run into a few that mm, their provenance is a little questionable. So I always recommend if you're buying winery direct to have um, all of that recorded. If you're buying from a retailer or an auction house, make sure that they're reputable. Um, I tend to shy away from gray market wines just because you never know how they've been stored. We have a, a guest who I just kind of think must have bought an entire collection that was stored in a container ship. That oh, had no. Just been sat at the dock in that beating sun for far too long because every bottle we opened for him just tastes like it's baked and it's um it's really sad so knowing where you're buying the wines from where they're sourcing their wines that they're doing their due diligence that the bottles have been stored properly are authentic um all of that is so 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 important and that you are continuing to store them properly for either your own personal enjoyment or if you are using them as an investment you know if you're going to be selling the wine in 10 20 years that you're really keeping an eye on it and melissa you mentioned the term daily drinkers um can you define that for us thank you <laughs> um like because you said that there was um a client of yours that you know they thought they had this tremendous value, but then you went through the collection and it was actually to be a lot of daily drinkers. So to me, daily drinkers are going to be in the um, kind of 10 to $40 range. And a lot of the, what goes into the cost of a bottle of wine has to do with not only uh, the quality of the grapes, the winemaker, but also oak. Oak tends to be really, really, really big factor in the price of wine. So if a winery is using all new French oak, those barrels are very expensive and the real estate that it takes up in the cellar, the winemaker's facility, um, all of that adds up. So a lot of times that is the one big indicator of cost and also ageability and whether or not it's going to be ready for you to drink. It's if it has a ton of oak on it, you're not going to want to touch it for 10 to 50 years. And to me, that's not a daily drinker. You don't want to open up a bottle of wine and have it be a painful experience with the amount of tannin. <laughs> or I've started to kind of equate uh, oak with like retsina, where they think that this, you know, pine flavors is it's become more of a taste component in that I think in a lot of the wines that we're drinking now, oak has become so much of a taste component versus just a, um, a, a natural preservative for the wine. So wines that have minimal oak, um, stainless steel, all of those, they're not going to age as well as wines that are seeing a lot of oak. So that's, that's kind of what I mean by daily drinkers as well as, as the cost that and, goes into it. And then for our listeners out there, is there like any tool or website that you would recommend that helps to sort of investigate? Because I know I myself as well, when I'm purchasing wines from regions that I'm not 
very familiar with. Like I might not know if that wine from that region is going to hold up as well as wine from um, a neighboring area. Are there any websites or tools that you recommend for users? So my top two are going to be Cellar Tracker. It's yeah. Mm-hmm. I get this is probably one of the number one questions that I get is. Um, how to keep track of my wine, no ageability, things like that. It's Cellar Tracker is a user generated database. So knowing um, people are opening these bottles of wine in their home every day and then they'll write reviews on it. So I use that as a resource as well when I'm leading classes. Is this wine gonna show well right now? Um, the second one is klwines.com. So KNL, um, all of this staff can open bottles of wine and um, do their own reviews of them. So a lot of the staff at KNL has been in the industry since the 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, and then there's some newbies too. So when they put a drinking range on that, they're right. They are the authorities of the industry. So um, those are the, the two top resources I go to. Okay. Thanks, Misty. That was a great question, yeah. Melissa. Great, great uh, resources to use there. I know I certainly use Seller Tracker um, to see what other consumers' reviews are, and these are people who um, they know wine fairly well. They don't. They don't people who just kind of drink uh, casually um, are not users of Seller Tracker. Seller Tracker users are interested in knowing what other serious drinkers uh, opinions are of various wines and they they often talk about the ageability yes of the wines and the condition of the wines so great reference great references there melissa so uh so these are only some of melissa's services uh, because as a certified sommelier she hosts a whole bunch of seminars including tasting seminars for exploring wine in Silicon Valley and Bordeaux and Mexico and Italy and Champagne. And so lots of, you can explore areas, you can explore types of wines if you want to explore a a specific variety. And then as Melissa was mentioning earlier, she does valuation of collections um, for legal purposes. Um, One of the hints that you gave us that might be new to people was that somebody's your regular old-fashioned um home insurance for your house does not cover your wine collection you have to get a writer for a a collection of any kind of significant value meaning you said like over two hundred thousand dollars or something it depends on each individual insurance but yeah my my experience is like twenty five hundred dollars could be the max that your home insurance will cover if there is um breakage due to or or flood fire damage things like that which we have to take really really seriously in northern california all of california um so a lot of what i do i go in organize inventory and then assign evaluation so the other part of why i love doing what i do is it allows people to fully enjoy their wine collection so Mm -hmm. i'm kind of the KonMari of wine cellars where I want your wine cellar to bring you joy. I don't want you to lose track of what's in your wine collection and then by the time you remember you have a bottle, it's past its prime. So I, I go in and I, I organize it for you so that if you walk into your wine cellar, you will pull a bottle and you will know 
that this is right. This is what you can have tonight and enjoy it. This is what you can give as a gift, you know, going towards a holiday season. A lot of my clients, their tastes have changed. So um, we'll pull bottles that will make great gifts if they're going to a holiday party or a housewarming mm-hmm. party or things like that. I'll have a row dedicated to wines that they could just pull that from. And what I'll a have- great hosting <laughs> thing to do, you know, to go, oh my God, I need something. Exactly. And, and then I have it kind of categorized by, um, by value okay. so that they won't accidentally grab the $2,000 $2, bottle. bottle or they will grab the $2,000 bottle and know it's going to their boss that they really want to impress or a client that they really want to impress. Nice. But if it's just, you know, going to a friend's house, it's a casual thing. They're going to grab in the 40 to 60 Now range. being the sommelier to the Silicon Valley stars, does that mean also that that information, once they hire you to figure that out is literally at their fingertips on their phone, they could go in on their phone to look at the inventory of their collection and go, Oh, that one. Yeah, I need to take that $1,500 bottle of wine to this event. Yes, they that would, is. Okay. That's one of the add-ons that I provide. Because <laughs> that can be um, in the Excel sheet that I provide for them. Mm-hmm. It can be in the seller tracker that I set up for them. Um, and then all of that will be, in, you know, the drinking windows will be included. If you pay the minimum $40 a year to seller tracker, the valuations included, all of that is, is set up. And then for my, my clients that have like a walk-in wine cellar, usually done by artistic wine sellers who does mm-hmm. the best wine sellers on the West Coast, <laughs> um, they, they, you could do an entire show dedicated to them. But they, I will provide an actual visual map of their wine cellar after I'm done organizing and inventorying it so that they can just look at this little screensaver that I've done for them and walk in and know where's and they can go it's in it's on the third row and the second rack on the left and grab it quickly exactly wonderful yeah great way to go well the other thing that folks don't know about you perhaps yet is you spent 15 years as a CIA trained chef at Culinary Institute of America trained chef uh, you kind of went all over the world in a way uh, doing that uh, before becoming a sommelier. So that means you really can pair wine. And we wanted to spend some time on this show focused in on food and wine pairings. We haven't really done that too much before. And since we were kind of uh, slinging this together kind of at the last moment, um, as can happen from time to time, um, so we've we've got a few wines on the table table. We've got a Mathis twenty seventeen no twenty eighteen Rose de Grenache, uh, which is a hundred percent Grenache uh, direct press whole cluster um, rose. We've also got the Mathis Sonoma Valley Grenache. Grenache is known as a easy to pair with a lot of different things. We've got uh, some other bigger wines. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the rules. What what do you want to tell? Listeners who go, oh, food and wine pairing, I never know what goes together. What's the first thing you want to say to them? So one of my top things when I give my classes is that Americans will tend to grab an In-N-Out burger on the way home and eat it in their car, and then they'll get home, and then they'll open up a bottle of Cabernet and drink that. (laughs) And it's like they don't sit down and have both of those things happen together. (laughs) So I really, even at our own home, you know, we both work in restaurants, and we're so tired. And I've got this incredible wine collection and I'm like, we just really have to make a bigger effort to sit down and like open the wines with the incredible food that my husband or I are preparing. 
So um, <laughs> I was I was fortunate to finally find someone that can cook for me, which I just <laughs> yay thank God for every day. Um, so that's the one thing. The other huge, 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 huge thing that I just I want everybody to know is that Chardonnay does not always go with fish. <laughs> the oak and Chardonnay causes a <laughs> chemical reaction on your tongue that will make the fish taste fishy in a not good way. Right. And will make the wine taste almost metallic. So, yes. Um, if you go to a seafood restaurant, try things like Sauvignon Blanc, like Chenin Blanc, things that see neutral oak yeah. or stainless steel because... And, and then if you go to a nice restaurant, ask the sommelier to pour you a little bit of Chardonnay and pour you a little bit of Samuel Blanc and taste your fish dish and go just back and forth. Do your own little experiment. And if they're a great restaurant, they'll accommodate you. Don't just do it for free wine or anything like that. But really so that you can have the opportunity to learn why things are a certain way. Because white wine does go with fish, but oaky wines do not. Is that something that Psalms actually enjoy when they work in restaurants to help patrons learn about wine? Because, you know, a lot of times people at a restaurant are feeling intimidated, like they're supposed to know. Is it okay? Is it okay to ask later on during the meal? I'm not sure what I should have with this. What's the the thing to to say to the sommelier when you don't know? Um, I would say... Be open. If the Somalia is great at their job, they will undersell you. <laughs> it's one of the things that makes me amazing and horrible at my job is if I think that, you know, $86 bottle of wine is going to go better than the $400 buy and bottle of wine you picked out and you ask me which one do you want to do, sometimes I'll steer you towards the other okay. one because it's going right. to be more food friendly and you're, you're going to enjoy it more. So as long as the psalm isn't on you know some soapbox and talking down to you and genuinely want you to enjoy the experience then yes and if if i just have an endless budget and you can recommend to me this very rare two thousand dollar bottle of wine then yes the psalm's doing their job doing that but if i'm a newcomer and i really just want to understand and appreciate wine pairing then um then say that say I don't I don't really know anything about a Gruner Veltliner what will what does it taste like and what on your menu will it go with right and I think that that's a just a wonderful wonderful experience you're already at the restaurant why not take advantage of that yeah great idea I always love to find the house wines at a nice restaurant because they've taken care of somebody like you to put the wine list together if you have some extraordinary finds boutique smaller yeah they also less common yeah, I love um, the way as well, like if you have a, a great psalm, how they'll open your eyes to different varietals that you might not have even tried, but you ask for a pairing with a specific dish that you have in mind, and they'll recommend something that's way outside of your comfort zone, and when you try it, sometimes it's just like, a, oh, I didn't even know that varietal yeah. existed. Yeah, yeah, I love it with Riesling. When I recommend Riesling to people, and they just think blue nun. And when I was (laughs) becoming a certified sommelier, I was training with these master sommeliers that were at least 20 years older than me. So I actually started a blog just like, it it was called like WTH is Retsina and WTH is blue nun because I didn't know. They would make these little jokes to themselves and look at each other, and I'm like, I don't know what blue nun is. I don't know what Retsina is. (laughs) And Matus, I didn't know what Matus was. So then I would 
go home and do this research. And so now I'm able to kind of do the opposite and tell people Riesling is one of the most food friendly wines in the Bay Area. We have Indian food, we have Asian food, we have Mediterranean food, North African food, and like, and Riesling is fantastic with all of it. Yeah, and and I think what people miss here, and this is one of my rules is with Riesling, and I don't have tons of Riesling myself, but I do like it, and it's, and I like it best with food, is Riesling um, has really strong acidity to it. Um, and the strong acidity makes it pair so well with spicy foods, really, really well. But then besides spicy foods, wines with great acidity go really well with a lot of fatty foods as well. So you, the, the, there's such a wide array of things that you can do it. Now, um, when you get into the closest thing we have right now here in our glass is the, the Mathis Rosé. Lots of acid. What, is, what does everybody like with this type of rosé? It's a very dry rosé. What are your favorite pairings? That goat cheese was unbelievable with, um, with this rosé. Yeah, yeah. I, I, everything goes well rosé all day. <laughs> opinion, but I agree that goat cheese was terrific. Oh, we have a little like television thing. Oh, this is our probably our power outage notice. Power outage. Yes, they're getting us. So by the by the time this airs, we'll we'll be back with with power. Hopefully, but hopefully, yes. but we're going to be dark for the next forty eight hours or something. So this is two years after the Great Fire. Uh, yep, yep. And this is this is how we're dealing with it. Anyway, separate story. So, um, wine country. Now, I'm a I'm personally I'm a big banana fan. So I have bananas because bananas have fat to them and so that goes well with the rosé you, you've got an extra smile on your face for my comment a bit but bananas because bananas are notoriously difficult to pair anything with yes i was it's an insider story but my husband's an amazing chef and then one night he made a, a salad and he added bananas to it and it's the worst thing ever but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but i love him so bananas don't go with so you indulged him <laughs> for the moment it's one of those things moment. But, what I love about this uh, rosé, and it is literally one of my favorite rosés in the world, um, is the texture to it. It's it's just got this like incredible texture, and the texture with this um, with wines in general make it so food friendly. So it's just I I love it with the the slice of the the ham. I'm sure it's I'm just trying to. Yeah, we've got a little ham here. If you have a banana um, shake in the morning, why not have a side of rosé, too? There you go. Yeah. What a great breakfast. rosé all day. <laughs> this is Patty's name. Okay, so that's a good one. And remember, we're looking at a series of, of flavors um, that for all foods. Bitter, salty, sour, sweet, umami, and fatty. And a lot of people go, what the heck is umami? It's kind of... The flavors that come from meats overall you can probably melissa describe this better than i can um any day what do you want to have listeners know about umami umami so um it's going to be off but umami is one of those things that comes from tomatoes from pecorino from mushrooms um but i was at one point in time one of the top sake sommeliers in the country and sake is the most umami-rich beverage um, on the market. So umami is this thing that it coats your palate. It's more of a textural thing than a flavor. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it is found in a lot of the things where you kind of get this lingering quality to it. So, um, yeah, shiitakes are one of the big, 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 big ones, but mushrooms in general. Um, what and would it, you pair umami with? Well, something with acidity and texture, because it's going to be almost this like buttery mouth coating. Um, Barbera? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the top pairings um, for sake was a pepperoni pizza. So (laughs) I love that. The same thing with like Barbera and like fantastic pastas with rich tomato sauce and Parmesan along those same lines. Charcuterie. So. So we're building on some ideas here. Um, Acid structure, fat. um, we haven't talked a whole lot about um, the balance of w- weighty dishes. Um, your your big thing was Chardonnay with a fish can often um, just cancel out and have this. It has this wild chemical reaction. I know exactly what you're talking about, and it's it is literally a chemical reaction in your mouth of these flavors going click click click, mm-hmm. and suddenly you're going, my God, what the hell happened here? That's a really tough one, but an easier one to work with might be just simply the weight of the wine and the weight of the food. Um, So if you're fixing, if you're fixing up a big burger barbecue kind of thing, what's some of my favorite pairings that you put with a burger? You know, sometimes I like to do something just totally counterintuitive and keep it classy and also just open up bottles you wouldn't normally open up so Mm -hmm. if you're making this killer burger at home and you've got this aging collection of napa cabernets open Mm -hmm. up a napa cabernet it's going to have you know bright fruit the tannins might be mellowing to the point that um if it's much more enjoyable um the acidity if it's a good Cabernet, it'll all be there. It will actually pair really, really, really well with, with burgers. Burger. Yeah. Right, right. Now, Patty was making motions on a podcast. Remember, the hand signals don't mean anything to our audience, Patty. You, you were doing burgers. You would do burgers with the red Grenache. Is that what you were trying to say or no? No, you asked if I wanted some wine. <gasps> oh, no, it was before that. It was before that. I thought you were saying something about barbecue, what you would pair with barbecue, with a burger. Rosé. With rosé, okay, all right. At this time of year, from okay, most likely from Provence. Okay, okay, I, and I'm a great fan. Great idea. I'm a sucker for blue cheese, so <gasps> a blue cheese yes. burger with some um, cabernet. Yes, fantastic. Yeah. Even this Grenache would fit the Grenache. Yeah. So good. And we have we have a little blue cheese. It's blue cheese Stilton. Um, if you didn't get any, I might be over there on the other table or something or here it's out here somewhere on the table it's complicated with a lot of cords for the microphones and the food that we've got going around it's um, so much fun though um actually just trying cheeses with different types of wines mm-hmm. to see the different um flavor profiles that take off in in your mouth and if you're a novice to cheese and wine pairing mm-hmm. um one of the greatest cheesemongers that i know from Sonoma County actually taught me to um, push it up on the top of your mouth, on the top of your palate, the cheese first. Mm-hmm. I will first taste your wine so you know what your wine tastes like, then taste your cheese. But when you ta- after you taste your cheese so you know what each of the components tastes like separately, 
push the cheese up to the top of your palate and then try the wine and let them intermingle. And it's very quite interesting. I mean, if you've ever had a mimolette, it's a very, very, um, a very hard cheese. It's mm-hmm. um, almost like it's a like an Adam cheese, but it's a French cheese. It was created by Louis the Fourteenth, and it pairs fantastic with some Bordeaux reds and some Cabernets. But even that just an immersion when those cheese and the wine are blending. Okay. And mm-hmm. then it's Thank fun. For the tip. Yeah, it was it Doing was it right fascinating now. to myself. And when you go back and you try different wines, like trying the rosé with the sheep cheese compared to a brie, like completely different flavor it's profiles. Amazing. Um, I did exactly what you just suggested, and I tasted the wine first. Got a full mouthful of a mm-hmm. big red juice. This is the red Grenache, yeah. And then I put the blue cheese, just like you said, a Stilton blue cheese. Just so strong, I could barely taste the wine. Yeah, <laughs> and then when you let them intermingle and you do it like in just the right balance, like you, and it, then it, it pieces up. Mm-hmm. And it's I do. A, I was doing a um, wine and cheese class where this woman Nicole Easterday has a company called Farm Curious, and she teaches you how to make different cheeses. So fresh cheeses and then bloomy rinded cheeses. So I would come in and pair wines with the bloomy rinded cheeses, and it's amazing because. You know, cheese is essentially three ingredients, dairy, salt, and bacteria. And the same with wine. It's, you know, ideally, unless it's not highly manipulated, it's going to be grapes and yeast. So it's amazing how something so, so simple is so um, complex to pair properly. And it was, it would take me a, a lot of just going, you know, worst job in the world, going back and forth, tasting all these different cheeses and t- different wines to figure it out and some of them might be like god i really thought that would work but it's it is it's amazing how something so simple can be so complex and it's fun too because some will actually accentuate the cheese so yes. it depends on who you are so if you're a winery you're really going to want to select cheeses that accentuate the wine and vice versa if you're right. a restaurant you're going to want to pick wines that accentuate the food what an interesting challenge back and forth is yeah. you know to 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 get that all together because of course a restaurant is wanting to um make their share of the profits from the wine as well so it's a real challenge i think to find just the perfect compliments for the dishes that the chef prepares at a restaurant and satisfy the wine program as well because they're two separate channels of profitability for restaurants to look at and to find out what works for them. And it's an opportunity that chefs really need to take to be proactive in understanding the wine pairings. I have oftentimes chefs will add radishes to something because they're so pretty. They cannot mess with your palate more. Oh yeah. yeah. They look gorgeous on the dish, but having that will just throw off any opportunity to pair the wine. So I really encourage any chefs listening, be proactive, sit down with the sommeliers and experience their end. You're gonna learn more and it, it's gonna make your food look better if the psalm can really count on the pairings. If yeah. something you could throw on as a garnish, right. that'll throw off your entire dish, so. Right. <coughs> All right, so a, a good tip there, and I was gonna say that, you know, in the same vein as a radish, it's like, somebody throwing a, a lump of wasabi on the dish it's just like it's gonna wait it's you know it's like it's literally like dropping a bomb on the table or horseradish, <laughs> or horseradish yeah it's all in the same family 
this explosion of of uh, hot taste there that just kind of wipes out the palate altogether. So, getting back to balance, um, so uh, I, the rosé that we just had uh, is not something that I would pair with a cassoulet, um, something really big or a filet mignon. It's it, the filet mignon to me would just it would trample all over a, a rosé, you know, a Provence style rosé. So yes, we're well. We'll get to we'll get to the blend in a second. So we want to make sure. So your your tip. I know. Go go fillet. Go, you'd have this with the fillet, the Uber blend. There you go. All right. There you go. So uh, big wine, big wines with big food. Lighter wines with lighter food. Um, particularly, let's say sal- salads can be tricky for people. If you're doing a citrus salad, oh, I see a nodding head here from Melissa. What do you want? What do you want to tell our listeners about salads and wine? You obviously have a story here. So I don't often remember my dreams, but a couple weeks ago, I had a dream that I was on this like Top Chef but Psalm competition. Uh huh. And the, and I'd made it all the way to the end. And the last challenge was pairing the perfect thing with a salad. You had the dream about this. And I paired a dirty martini and I won the competition. These <laughs> <laughs> are the dreams that keep you up at night. Right? So, yeah, no. Um, it's a great dream. Isn't it? <laughs> I just, I mean, blew, I woke up and I blew my own mind. I'm like, of course a dirty martini with a salad. We're going to start at the end the meal with that, but... But good reminders. I Do cocktails with the earlier courses of a longer meal and, and bring the wine to the table with the main dish. Yeah. Right? And, and spirits with dessert. Mm-hmm. And one of the winery, the winery that I um, work for is really, we're really well known for our Sauvignon Blanc. So I, um, it's always right. a sure bet with um, most salads on, on menus. It's usually fantastic, especially those great. that are citrus based. Or Yeah, so if you do orange mandarin, based salads um, with goat cheese and walnuts. Um, that's a classic um, to do with a, a Sauvignon Blanc from St. Supery is an easy one. You could do that with a, a rosé. I would also say things like Albarinos yeah. or Vermentino um, also um, all fit in there with things like that. There are some things that are pretty tricky to figure out and some of those are vegetables. There's some notorious ones, asparagus, artichoke, the A, the A vegetables mm-hmm. can just be kind of really tricky. What do you want to tell our listeners about approaching tricky vegetables and pairing? So for some reason, I found that Gruner Veltliner goes with all of these, the asparagus and the artichokes. It really, really does for some reason go really well with it. So it's all about your experimentation. And uh, fortunately, I've had the opportunity to taste tens of thousands of wines. And asparagus and artichokes are two of my favorite things ever. Um, <laughs> a lot of times, what chefs and consumers really and sommeliers need to take into consideration is a lot of times it's the, the sauce that is going to dictate what oh, the thank pairing you for is. saying that. Mm-hmm. So if you have a salmon with a verblanc, um, you know, the, the Blanc is going to end up contributing, contributing just as much to the plate as anything else. If you're having a chocolate dish, dish with raspberry, that's going to highly affect what you pair with it. So really taking into consideration, um, it's not just 
the salmon. It's not just the steak. It's also, is it a green peppercorn sauce? Is it going to be, you know, a rich butter sauce? What is going to really be the gateway to pairing the wines? And the meatiness of some of the um, heartier vegetables like eggplant lend themselves really well to red wine. And people always get so afraid of that. Um, I'm always blown away. The estate chef at the winery at St. Supery, we do a veggies and vino pairing. Mm. So you head up to Napa and most of the food and wine pairings, they're highly meat-based, but it's so fun and sort of eye-opening to see what you can do with vegetables and the many different taste profiles that one vegetable can take on just depending upon the sauce and the seasoning and the preparation. Wow. Big, big roles here um, in terms of the sauce. And that makes me think, you used to hear in the old days, oh, if you're having chicken, you have to have a white wine. If you're having a steak, you have to have red wine. If you're having a fish, you have to have white wine. Well, I'm not even, I'm not even going to go down the route of salmon, which has so many different pairing opportunities, depending on how you prepare salmon. But um, I do chicken many different ways. There's In the summertime, a lot of people do chicken, you know, with lemon um, and light things. That kind of hints towards a a lighter wine, yes. Um, But in the winter, I do chicken with mole sauce, which is a chocolate-based sauce with tomato. And and then I do with the Grenache. I do it with this Grenache, the Mathis Grenache. Um, You know, or it could go with a great Pinot Noir or even a Barbera. Um, so, So the sauces... Yeah, the other you, day. You zero in on sauces. Totally. So the other day, um, I forgot that I had a, a girlfriend coming over for lunch, and I just made homemade Greek yogurt, and we just canned all of our tomato sauce. And I have an Instant Pot. So I threw, like, some frozen chicken in the Instant Pot with the tomato sauce we'd made, Greek yogurt, and a bunch of curry. And oh I just God. made this, like, kind of really awesome last minute dish and we had this bottle of pet nut that we brought back from Oregon from this incredible winery up in Oregon and it was just awesome it was like the texture of it the the bubbles um the low alcohol everything went really really well together and I was just like crap I came up with this in like nine minutes like please tell people what pet nut is (laughs) oh sure (laughs) you have to share that part so it's it's kind of like a natural Yes, exactly. Thank you. My French pronunciation is awful. Um, but it, it's basically like a, a slightly sparkling, low-alcohol wine that still has the yeast and everything else in it's it. It's the oldest form of sparkling wine founded in the 15th century. <gasps> Bravo, <you>. Patty. Holman <laughs> Cellars makes a delicious wine. Very good. Oh, we'll be talking. We'll talk. We'll be talking about that in a future episode. So excellent. So speaking of sparkling wine, we haven't talked at all about how you pair with sparkling wine and with champagne. And of course, there's a huge array of flavors there. Um, I have my favorites. Melissa, what are some of your favorite pairings with sparkling wine? Oh my goodness. So this is sommelier uh, trash amazing pairing is Lay's potato chips, creme fraiche and caviar. Like. (laughs) 100%. 100%. My husband and I had that on New Year's Day this year, I think. Um, I think it goes with pretty much everything, but that's that's my favorite. But I really, really, really love sparkling wine. Um, Cava's are one of 
like my best kept secrets for I started out with the how to be a wine baller on a on a budget it's like you can buy a killer bottle of Cava Cava for under $12 for me I get a really bad reaction to um, the the sparkling wines that have the bubbles added to it Charmant method Um, but yeah we uh, we you know (laughs) my husband proposed he brought a bottle of Krug and a bottle of Billicart Fruit reserve, like I said, to cover it all. Exactly to cover both bases. So, um, yeah, people ask me what my last on earth bottle of wine would be, and it's, it's absolutely Krug. But, <laughs> but Krug doesn't go with everything. It's, you, you know, go. sushi. It doesn't go great go. with sushi. I think it works. Well, you know, uh, when I think sparkling wines and champagnes, um, the easiest ones for me are. Um, salt bait things so popcorn with salt potato chips uh potato chips or popcorn with truffles and salt (laughs) it just uh you just keep going and going and going there's an amazing brand of potato chips out now that's uh, by some italian brand Mm. it's a truffled black truffled potato chip oh wow oh wow it's whatever it is it's it's succulent so I wanted to try, I wanted to, is this okay? I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Did you have more? Okay, all right. So I wanted to try an, an experiment here. Um, and I, they're all clean. That's why they're looking wet. That's um, the raspberries. Take a few raspberries with the Grenache. Now here's where you can get into trouble with some wines. If you have, this is where you may have too much matchy matchy i don't know what you think because again everybody's palate's different so some people may go oh that's perfect that's exactly the way i want it to be and other people might go oh no it's too matchy matchy you, missy you're making a face yeah no definitely not like that is uh, not a perfect pairing to have too matchy matchy yeah in my opinion in my palate and and Every palate's different the mathis grenache is particularly raspberry oriented to me so to me, it's too much alike. Mm. Anybody else? Yeah, it would need something else. Like so some wines need. So so this is where I want to go, and um, and then the other one that we have from Mathis is the Uber Blend, which is more Syrah, a Petit Syrah base, not Syrah. There's no Syrah in here. Petit Syrah. Mm. There's more contrast with this, but it's still like in the same family to me to do that i don't know what you guys think so a lot of people you know wonder when it comes to strawberries raspberries cherries these are all really strong and common fruit flavors right. in red wines and what what, what did you want to add the to that pa- also, if you taste with it, whether you like it or not. right so the other thing that i had on this plate well not on mine but you guys had was praisins dried and of course, it's got a lot of sugar. Oh, thank you. And it's it's also too matchy matchy. No, it's just not a great pairing. Right. <laughs> it's it's a compo- It's too much a component of the wine. It's just like you want a contrast, mm-hmm. right? Great point. So the next thing I wanted to match is the thing that comes out at um, Valentine's. We're a long way away from that. Is chocolate and red wine pairings. Some of them are terrible. So for our listeners, don't think that like. Every chocolate and red wine is going to go together. That is not necessarily true. Yeah. That, no, Patty, if you got to go, it's okay, honey. You're allowed to go. <laughs> Patty's got to go. Thank you, Patty, for being here. 
was a pleasure to meet you, Melissa. Such okay. A pleasure to meet we'll, you. Be, we'll be talking. Thank you, my dear. That's okay. We had a crazy long day. So, so Patty's making a, a quick exit here. So now we got to figure out what does chocolate go with it. I've got these um, kind of quick, funky. I don't even know what this is like. This is a Safeway brownie, so with frosting. Mm. So, it's their generic thing. It's got like chocolate with chocolate chips and chocolate frosting. Somewhere between milk and dark chocolate. I'm such and what a are you cheese, getting? I'm such a cheese girl. I go back to the cheeses, but um, I know. But I'm just I'm trying to help our listeners out with um, what what does and doesn't go with things and it's okay to say this is a terrible match because i was trying to make a point if some things don't work yeah I, i've never personally understood um pairing red wine with chocolate i just um to me it doesn't go so i would i spent a lot of my career as a pastry chef and i have a horrible sweet tooth got my husband addicted to a midnight ice cream runs um but for me, I am more likely to pair a coffee liqueur, something like Nola by St. George or something like that, um, or a nut-based um, liqueur with, uh, with a dessert than I am to do red wine. I, don't, I, I have yet to have my socks blown off by a, a wine and a wine and chocolate, a red wine and chocolate. Yeah. Thing. It depends. Challenge so here's here's the thing. Just a listener, <laughs> listeners submit and tell us your favorites. Nine six nine wine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so another interesting thing that you may want to try out and test. Oh, I was fiddling with levels here, and I I think I fiddled with my own here because we have them backwards. Anyway, have the raspberry on the brownie. And then have one of the red wines. Right. Nah, it's it's just different. I don't know. You, you can see what you think. I don't know. Maybe you're still going to hate it. I don't want to force anybody to try something they didn't have. But I've often found if you're going to have chocolate, if you mix that with the cherry or the raspberries, um, and even if you add creme fraiche to that or ice cream, that will suddenly... Yeah, it has elevated it. Yeah, definitely a lot more. Um, yeah, it works really well with the Uber blend. Right, and the Uber blend is the one that's more patisserie based, so it's it's got more tannin. Mm-hmm. It's got more. It's got a bit more acidity to it overall. Melissa, we're just about at the end here. What do you want to leave our listeners with in in terms of food and wine pairing? Um, we we don't want to make their heads hurt. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so what I would leave you with. Um, is it's all about quality so you know the best ingredients um you can find and they don't have to be expensive the wine doesn't have to be expensive um but just really take the time to enjoy it and take the time to try things side by side and i think the biggest thing going into october or in the middle of october as we are um don't wait for a special occasion to drink special bottles. Oh, you know, you there was, was it um, five years ago when there's the huge earthquake in Napa yeah. and people lost a lot. And I was there with my friends, Jason and Mary, and we just, we started opening up good champagne from their collection. And with these fires, it's like, you know, 
hopefully they are not happening this year, but, um, so what if you're having a burger? So what mm-hmm. if you wait 15 minutes to get that in and out burger all the way to your home and then you open up <laughs> a really nice you know, cult Cabernet to have with it? Really enjoy the collection. Take the opportunity to really enjoy these phenomenal bottles that you have in your, in your cellar. So, you know, it could be a Wednesday. It doesn't have to be your next anniversary. It doesn't have to be your next big birthday. Um, it could be... You know, something as simple as just a really easy home. Do your meal. food and wine pairing tonight. Yes. And it please. doesn't have to be perfect. <laughs> just <laughs> grab do, a bottle. Right. Yeah. Grab a bottle and do what you love. This There's whole no segment rules, has rules. has helped me as well to sort of think about really leaning in to those like lean into your sommelier, lean into your uh, the person who works at your cheese bar and really leverage their recommendations. Or if you have a special bottle of wine, ask them what they think and what they would recommend. Yeah, we got into it because we're passionate. So having that engagement, I have to say this day and age when most of our customers um, are on their phones or something and we're more order takers than anything else take advantage of us we have passion invoke that like ask us the questions we have the answers or that we'll make them up but we you know we love the engagement we're in this industry for a reason hospitality and I really want people to get the utmost joy out of their wine collection so you know use me there you go. And if you want to know gore, more, gore more, gore more, gore more uh, go to dot com, and you can learn more about all of Melissa's services from holding a custom event for you and your corporate colleagues or your family or, you know, whomever it may be and developing a theme custom to you uh, along many different lines that she offers from wine exploration all, all the way through Mad Men cocktails <laughs> and uh, Daddy's First whiskey tasting. So lots of opportunities that you can do, including you mentioned that um, you had all of this experience and certification with Saki tasting so if that's your thing that might be another thing you could talk with melissa about and uh if you are in the unfortunate situation of having to split up a collection legally uh for for whatever reason and you need a legal expert to value your collection in order to help uh split it up um melissa is um Certified and licensed to do that by the California Bar Association. So you've got an expert in your own backyard to do that here uh, in the Bay Area. If you're further afield, you'll have to give her a phone call or an email at her website uh, in order to find out how she can help you from a little bit more of a distance. Um, But all those things would be great. Melissa, thank you so much for being on the show. Such an honor. Thank you so much for all that you do. Uh, It's been been great. And uh, Misty, thank you so much for being here and uh, contributing your ideas on, particularly on putting cheese on the roof of your mouth and tasting them with your wine that way. Great tips on how to make all of that happen. And listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. We really appreciate your participation on the Wine Women Radio Hour. Have a great glass of wine this evening and kick back and enjoy yourself. Thank you for tuning in.